and stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. (coughs) They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize it had come where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Right? So you got a wedding, you got a party, you got people hanging out, having a good time, a joyous occasion, alcohol is involved, Jesus is there with the alcohol where people are having a good time. In fact, he is like a proponent of perpetuating more alcohol to add to some kind of interesting night. So that brings a lot of questions with it. What is the deal? What's going on? How should we be thinking about it? How should we look at it? And not only that, like, my opinions matter a little bit, but it matters much more like what the Bible actually says. Right? So what does the Bible actually say about it and about the situation? Um, So let's take a look here. So it says on the third day, third day of what? Well, um, the third day from when he called the other disciples. See, so remember last week he called the other disciples? Remember he called a bunch of them? And that's what we talked about last week was calling. So many are called, few are chosen, right? We talked about that last week. And the ones that are chosen are the ones that say, yes. It's like two people that paid attention. That's pretty good. So are the ones that say yes, right? Everybody's called. But the ones that say yes, those are the ones that are chosen, the crazy ones that understand that they've counted the cost and they see that it's going to take their entire lives and everything that they are, that God wants the relationships, that he wants the friendships, that he wants the money, he wants the thoughts, he wants the time, he wants the resources, he wants everything. And so for the few that stand up and say, you know what, yes, I'm okay with that because he's given me everything and he's promised me everything, so I say yes, those are the chosen. Those are the chosen ones. So three days after, he called Andrew, Philip, um, who else we had? We had Peter in there right after, he, and Andrew. He called these guys. They go to this wedding. It says, Jesus' mother was also there. And Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. A lot of Bible commentators think that maybe Mary had like a pretty good relationship with the bride, whoever was getting married, and maybe she played a pretty significant part in this wedding, especially of the way that she asked Jesus like, to provide you know, more wine. Um, a lot of people think she probably wasn't just a regular guest. She was probably somebody that was pretty well known, uh, maybe a close friend of the family. So Jesus shows up with his entourage, and they come to the wedding. I always wonder like, what Jesus wore like, to a wedding. You know what I mean? Like, what was he looking like? What was he wearing? I don't know. I'm curious. It says, when the wine was gone, 
Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, at the wedding, right? They're there. They've already gone through supposedly the good stuff so everybody can like taste and sample that and enjoy that. And then it's gone. So then she goes right to Jesus and they say, hey, what can we do about this? So in verse 4 he says, dear woman. Which actually, if you look at the Greek there, it's actually a pretty respectable term, like the way he addressed her. It doesn't really sound like it, you know, from the way it's translated from Greek to English, but it's actually pretty respectful the way that he did. Um, So he says, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, my ministry hasn't really started yet. No miracles have really been done. His public ministry, where he goes out and you know, spends time with people, with the masses, hasn't come yet. I'm sure in his home and in his house, he was known as he was, as the Messiah, and I'm sure he was able to do some things, or else she wouldn't have caught up to him. She wouldn't have asked him. So she must have known something, had some experience about who he was. So then, verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That's the last recorded words in the Bible of Mary. That's it right there. So I always like to talk about that with my Catholic friends, you know, at work and stuff. The last thing ever recorded that she ever said was do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever Jesus says. It's pretty interesting how it just worked out that way. It says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washings, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So that's a lot, right? 20 to 30 gallons. And then you have six of them. So you can do some math, right? Maybe not, right? That's a lot of gallons. 100 plus gallons. It says, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So Jesus tells the servants to fill it up, Right? So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So I don't know how this happened and what he did, if he threw some like dirt in there, if he like prayed over it, if, uh, I don't know what the method was here. It seems to imply that the servants just took these big, huge things, these big, huge containers, put a bunch of water in it, he said, just scoop a little bit out and just go give it to the master of the banquet. It doesn't really seem like really much of anything happened. And so the servants were obedient, and they did it. It says, in the master, verse 9, of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And so Jesus does it. He does what his mom asked him to do, which is a pretty good son. He does what mom asked him to do and he changes this thing into wine. And it says, right, this was the first of his miraculous signs. <clears throat> and then really his ministry is going to start now. His public ministry is going to start after this. So, now we have a can of worms we've got to deal with, right? And we should talk about. And it's a good thing to talk about. Alcohol, wine, Christians, right, wrong, should we, not. What's the deal? 
Um, one argument that's used a lot, right, used a lot, is one that says, you know, the wine in the Bible is not quite as strong as the wine and alcohol that we have now, right? So they would say, like, the wine then is, you know, three parts water and one part alcohol. And, um, okay, I guess, you know, we could go with that. But the pro- it runs into a few problems. One of the problems is that the translation from the Greek is that it's wine. It's not like a watered-down version. It's not something different. It's just wine. Oinos is the word. Say oinos. Yeah, see, did some language study today. So oinos. Then, from there, it's also very significant, very important to know that people throughout the Bible, starting all the way back from Noah, they would get drunk on this if it was not a strong wine. They could still get drunk on it. They could still be heavily influenced under it. They could still like lose capacity to be their normal selves with it. So even if it's a watered-down type version, it's still something you can get drunk with. And what some people then like to do is they like to go to the extreme and then say, well, alcohol is just a bad thing. It's just inherent because it's alcohol. It is bad. And so those people that think that, when they get to a passage like this, they really get rocked because it's like, well, Jesus did his first miracle and had a wedding you know, with alcohol. And if Jesus is doing miracles to like um, multiply and increase some sort of resource that is tainted with sin, like what's that saying about Jesus? Now, again, we said it's really important to know what the Bible says, right? That's the way we want to be thinking about it, right? I hope, yes, maybe. Okay. So let's see what it says, right? So in the Bible, here's what it says. We've got a couple of verses um, up here on the next slide, right? Believe it or not, the Bible, I know you can't probably see it that well, so I'll read some of it. But the Bible talks about alcohol actually being a blessing, believe it or not. So the idea of like that alcohol is just inherently evil and not good and if you had a beer in your fridge, like, oh boy, you're a bad Christian. Like, there's more to it than that. And the Bible actually says that wine is like a sign of blessing. In fact, overflowing wine. Not like you're doing really well and you're good with God if, and none of that is present. I mean, take a look at some of these verses. It says, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine. It's even telling you to drink it. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. How about Psalms 104? He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. Right? He does these things right, to sustain our hearts and make us happy. Amos 9. Because, I bet you read Amos this week, right? That's, that's a popular one. Because he is faithful, he sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil, right? There's just a sense of just overflowing, and wine is always attached to it. Alcohol is in there. Look at the New Testament. 
Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. And that's Paul that wrote that, you know? So this idea that alcohol is just inherently evil is just definitely not true, right? Definitely not true at all. The Bible actually says and refers to it as like a sign of blessing when God is doing something. So the question still is, though, like, can Christians do it? So maybe the Bible says that, okay, maybe you know, God has referred to this drink and alcohol and it's going to be a sign of blessing, but can Christians do it? Can you have it in your house? You know, can we go to your house and have you over for dinner and then you know, the wine comes out and we're drinking together? Like, is that a bad thing? You know, is, that, is that okay? And I remember like, um, in college... Uh, younger years in college, there was a, a church uh, not too far from here, and they had a young adult service, and they used to have a lot of get-togethers, and um, there was an abundance of alcohol at these get-togethers, and uh, I don't think it was in a good way. I think it was a little bit too far, you know what I mean? Like, it was just uh, too much. Um, but that's the question, like, what is too much? How do we know? Uh, how does that stuff happen? And I think that's the question, like, we got to ask ourselves. And, um, you know, a town like Naugatuck, there is liquor stores everywhere around here. Like, every, there's a lot of them. I actually Googled it, and I tried to go through, and, I don't know, I stopped counting after, like, 70-something. Like, it's, it's just ridiculous. Like, there's just so many. Um, so it's, like, it's an important issue. It's a really important issue. And... How are we thinking about it? What are we saying about it? Would it be okay if we had a keg after church downstairs? Like, is that okay? You know, like God made that stuff. It could bring community together. You know, is that okay? Is it not? I mean, there's a church in New York that, that even does that. I mean, we're not going to be doing that. But, but why? The question is why. Why is that right? Why would it be wrong? What is the deal? How can we think about it? Well, here's the deal, Right? Here's the deal. Alcohol is like any other thing that we have been given. Food, right? Sex, um, entertainment, uh, diet and image, right? All of these things, right, were given to us. Yeah, money. All these things have been given to us. And these are good gifts, the Bible says that these are good things. I think on the next slide. Do I have the next slide on there? Um, no, I'll get to that one after. The one after that? I forget where I put it. Yes, First Timothy 4 says, They forbid people to marry in order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Like, this stuff is good. Alcohol, good. Beer, good. Sex, good. Food, good. Working out, good. Money, good. Now, the problem that we run into is that the enemy does a very successful job 
of painting pictures and giving situations to where we don't understand where the boundaries are. Like God makes it really clear that sex within a marriage is a really good thing. And that's the desire, like that's the intent. You can go off and do other stuff, that's fine. But there's going to be other prices and other things that are going to come along with that. Alcohol, good thing. In fact, it's a sign that, you know, he's blessing. In the Bible, anyways. But, if a drink is needed for somebody to be themselves and to loosen up and to be able to talk and hang out, it's not good. You're then needing, like, another substance to be someone other than yourself. Right? God wants to do that work. And certainly the case of drinking and getting hammered, like drinking to get hammered, that's definitely not a good thing, right? And the Bible is really clear on that in Ephesians 5, which we just talked about, you know, a month or so ago. It says, do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Money, good thing, good thing to earn money, to have money. God has made a way so that we can create an income, so we can have things and buy things that we need. And honestly, the idea is that the money won't enslave us, but actually we'll be so wise and understand so how God created money that we could actually have it and we are the boss of it. It is not the boss of us. That's what the Christian is called to be. And we're called to worship God within that. And like Dave Ramsey always says, you want to live like nobody else so you can live like nobody else. You want to live like nobody else, so you understand what money is, what budgets are, what boundaries are, what you can do, what you can't do when you live within your means, so that way you can live like nobody else and not be locked down and enslaved because of maybe poor decisions and bad ideas. We're called to a life of freedom, right? The Christian is called to a life of freedom. And all of the good gifts, the other side of the good gifts, comes enslavement. Does that make sense? Those good things are good things, but when we become selfish about it and we start to dictate those good things on our own terms, then in a very subtle way, we think we're in control, but we're actually getting ensnared by it. It's starting to trap us. So somebody that's like, oh yeah, you know, sleep around with whoever, spend time with whoever, you know, hook up whenever, you know, that's fine, not a big deal. Someone may think that they have control over that. Oh, I'll try and be, you know, I only do it in a situation where I really care about somebody else and, um, you know, I'll never cheat on somebody and blah, blah, blah. Over time, that is going to enslave and ensnare somebody. The Bible makes it so clear that the Christian has to be really, really good at understanding boundaries and self-control. Because he owns us, and the spirit that lives inside of us needs to be fueled, and we're not called to fuel our flesh and what we think is good for us and what we think is right. We actually believe in faith that he knows better than us, even so much so, so we don't have to go try it out to see that it's bad for us. We just believe in faith, yes, I don't want to go near that, I don't want to do that. 
So is it sinful to drink then? Can we go to your house and have a beer together? I don't know. <laughs> no. Right? I don't know. Can we go to the bar after, you know, and go talk like over the service and talk over the notes and have a beer while we do it? I'll tell you what. The Bible never says don't drink. And it also never says drink all the time as much as you like. So the deal is, what is the deal? It leaves more questions than answers. The deal is, we're supposed to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're supposed to be in a place where we can hear the Spirit of God in our lives. And he says, yeah, that's just not something we're going to do right now. Or he says, yeah, that's okay, that's fine. Like, we're supposed to get to that place and understand that. When that's not really happening, what we then do is we create rules. We say, we can do this, we can do that, we can't do this, we can't do that. That's sticky business. Because then you can get all the way on the other side, and people can become very legalistic and super strict about things that God really never said to be super strict and pharisaical about. Like, a good question is, well, was Jesus drinking wine? Getting hammered with the disciples? Probably not. Was he drinking some wine? Well, let me ask you this. How do you think they were drinking at the Last Supper? It wasn't water in those cups. And actually, Jesus caught a lot of flack for hanging around with people who would use bad language, right? Who would... uh, be having, you know, unapproved beverages around the table and maybe consuming a lot of them. Look at this passage in Luke 7. I think it was the slide before. It says, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. So John the Baptist, he was like, he was clean cut, man. He was just did not touch anything. Straight edge like kind of guy. Nothing going on. And they said he had a demon because he was just like so clean cut and so nice. Says the Son of Man, Jesus, this is Jesus talking the whole time. He's talking about himself. The Son of Man came eating and drinking and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right for all our children. So here's a glutton and a drunkard. Son of Man came eating and drinking. I don't know how far-fetched it is to think that Jesus would actually have a glass of wine once in a while. He was accused of it. They knew John the Baptist was clean, but apparently Jesus had something in his past or in his present that led them to believe that he would be drinking. So it's interesting stuff, right? It's real interesting stuff. And then Jesus is at a wedding, and he does a miracle to provide more alcohol. Bless you. Jesus also feeds 5,000 on a hill a couple of times, twice. So, like, was he promoting gluttony when he did that? I don't think so. You know? These things, eating, drinking, right, whatever we're doing, we're supposed to be doing it as unto the Lord. That is the key, right? That is the key. Do we have that? There it is. Thank you, Josh. Right on point. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. That is the key. 
is God being glorified in this? If I got some coworkers calling me up after church later today, and they're saying, hey, we got some questions about stuff we were talking about at work this week, and, you know, like, um, I want to know more about what you guys are talking about at church. I know you're talking about alcohol this Sunday. Like, oh, I'm curious, you know, can we meet you at bar such and such? I will drive down there and I will meet them. And we'll go hang out and we'll talk about stuff. I probably won't have anything to drink because for me personally, I hope you're getting personally down, for me personally, the conviction in my heart and life that I just can't have it around at all. Does the Bible say you have to do that? No, I hope you're getting that part. No, like the Bible doesn't say you have to do that. I'm not saying I'm holier than anybody else because of that. I'm just saying in my personal life, my convictions are, I just would rather not have it around. And I can also proudly say, I can be around other Christians and not judge them because they're not living out the same convictions that I have. Ho, ho, ho. That's where the Christians got to be good. Because different people are at different places. And if we start forcing things on them, it's not going to work out. Maybe they'll listen to us to appease us, but honestly, they're going to get more irritated and more mad, and it's going to lead to nothing good. God has to speak it to their hearts. Remember we talked about the Holy Spirit of God? Communicating it? He's got to speak it to their hearts. Whatever it may be. And whenever He speaks to my heart, is not going to be the exact same thing he might speak to your heart. And I'm not suggesting that in any way, shape, or form. So, how do you know when to drink? When is it appropriate? When is it not appropriate? Good question. I'm glad that you asked that. You guys are very intuitive. Romans 14. Let's take a look. Let's go there real quick. Romans 14. Right, you got to be careful with this, with this stuff because as you turn in there, I'll just share some stuff, right? Because almost everything in our current culture is labeled sinful by some sect of Christianity. You know that, right? So I don't know how, you know, whatever you're dressing today, you're going to be ruffling somebody's feathers no matter some place you go. I mean, the fact that I don't have a really nice three-piece suit on right now, that's going to irritate some people. You should show up to church in your best, in your best clothing. I don't know. This, you know I don't know. He should maybe communicate that to me. Chances are if he does, I'm probably really going to do it. But if he forces it down my throat, I'm probably just going to ignore it. That's actually like how Calvary Chapel, like, they started. Calvary Chapel is one of the few, really the only, church that actually take in all the hippies, because they started in the 70s. So these hippies, like, they weren't showering. They had long hair, abomination. They had no shoes on, no shirt. Probably were sober half the time. Nobody's taken them into a church. But Calvary Chapel... 
just taking them in. They say, yeah, like Jesus loves you. Like, come on in. We want to tell you about the gospel. Like, come on in. And if you encounter the gospel and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, he's going to take care of the other stuff that needs to be taken care of. He'll take care of your foot issue and cleaning yourself and like all the rest. He'll show you your value and who you really are and who you were created to be because that stuff what you're doing right now is not it. That's like the roots of Calvary Chapel. And um, it's really important to know that legalism and being super strict with people is not too far away and it's really easy to do, especially in a church setting. Because if you allow things to go and allow things to happen, it's like you approve of it. That could also mean that you're just being understanding and walking with them and being patient and waiting on God to work with them. I wrote some stuff down. Some things that could be labeled sinful by some sect of Christianity. Dancing. There's a lot of Christians that get married. They don't have like any music bumping. They don't want the dancing thing. That's like a sinful act to do, you know? And they don't want to try and police like is what's too close and who's how are the hips moving over there? And uh, makeup. If you came in like putting some makeup on today, like that does not go over well in some sex. Listening to rock music or like anything out of really the norm could be labeled as sinful. Um, Buying things on Sunday and doing work on Sunday, right? There's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of things. The idea is to be close to God, understand the Holy Spirit and what he's saying to our hearts. So let's see, Romans 14. I said we should go there, right? I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm not going to go super deep into it, but I just want to highlight a couple of things. It says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. That's where the issue is a lot of time. Some people are like, well, no. They need to dress nice when they come into church. They shouldn't be listening to that. Blah, blah, blah. A lot of it is disputable. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. Can you eat pork? Can you not eat pork? Well, Bible's pretty clear. You can some people feel like they can't. Then okay, they can't. Their conscience has made it clear to them that they can't. But another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, right? There's the, where the Christians should be really well. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should fully be convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It says, For this very reason Christ died and returned to life so that he may be the Lord of both the dead and the living. 
You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Skip down to verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. It says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him, it's unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider to be good spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Last part here. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Right? So the deal is, hey, people are at different places. Some people are saying, listen, I can't have any alcohol in my house at all for whatever reason. God has spoken that to their hearts for whatever reason, and there could be lots of reasons for that. Another person, totally fine with it. Some people say, hey, listen, I don't want such and such, you know, meat in my house. I know, like, how they kill it and how they get it, you know, and I don't want to have... That's fine. It's not good for the Bible basher to come in and say, well, the Bible says everything's clean and it's all good. Like, just receive it in Thanksgiving. Like, don't, we don't do stuff like that. We're called, right? You don't see any language like that in there. And this idea of stumbling, so how do you know, like how does that work, stumbling, right? So that's why I got that last question there in the bulletin. Stumble, what are we talking about, stumble? Because that's really the issue with this eating and drinking and celebrating days and doing different things, right? And the idea with stumbling is if like we went to Walmart, I had a six-pack in line, somebody else from church sees me with the six-pack, and they say, oh, wow, I, you know, I thought you know, I really shouldn't drink. And then, oh, well, pastor has a six-pack, so um, I guess I can have a six-pack too, even though, like I said, I was going to quit and I shouldn't do it, but I guess it's okay because I see him doing it. That's the idea of stumbling, right? Now, you can see in that really brief little example that's not very detailed, you can see in that little example, though, there's a lot of thinking going on in the other person's head. Right? There's like a lot of assumptions and conclusions being made based on what they just see. We can't really control a lot of that. It's very difficult, right? But I think that we're also called to try and do our part. I don't think I'd be going to the A group that will meet here on Wednesday night and go down at the six-pack and being like, and listening to their testimonies, you know, while I'm... Just wouldn't be doing that. You know, just wouldn't be doing that. Like, I don't think it'd even be really be that wise for us. We'll be doing communion in a little bit. 
and it's grape juice. I don't think it's that wise to even really have maybe some wine during communion. I don't know what's going on with people and with their lives and with their hearts, you know what I mean? Like, it just might not be that wise. Even some of the stuff, like, you know, comes in for girls a lot. Well, am I going to wear this or am I going to wear that? You know, and would this cause somebody to stumble or would it not? You know, and that's how they get, that's how some people get the idea of no makeup, you know, everything long, cover everything up, and soon you're walking around like, you know, one of the Muslim young ladies and everything's covered. It's a difficult thing. It's a really difficult thing. And I don't think we're called to live our life as victims to whatever the thought life of somebody else is either. Because then we could just turn into wearing things and acting things based on whatever guilt trip somebody else is giving us. And that's not a good thing either. That's a lot of stuff, right? So at the end of the day, can we drink, can we not drink? It's a pretty simple question. It's not so easy of an answer. And I wrote down, did I have it down here? The Bible's not real clear one way or the other. And it's definitely not real good to pass a lot of judgment and give people guilt trips. And it's definitely not a good thing to force my convictions onto somebody else. But it is really important to live out what the gospel says. So it's important to live out what the gospel says and live in truth and try and have this body and this mind and this temple belong to him but yet not flip out and not be aggressive if I notice maybe another fellow brother or sister maybe not at that same place. It's difficult stuff, right? It's really difficult stuff. So, can we drink? Can we not drink? Can you have like the open bar at the wedding? Is it a cash bar? Can you have that stuff there? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you one way or the other. Like, what's God speaking to your heart? That's always the question in life. What is he speaking to your heart? What are you feeling about? What are the thoughts? How did he bring you there? What's he speaking to your heart? Is it getting in the way of anything? Do you need a particular relationship or substance or whatever it is to help, like, with self-esteem issues? Is it like rooted in fear in some way, shape, or form? Like what? Why are we doing it? What is God speaking to our hearts? And it always just comes back to the relationship. Always, always, always comes back to that. And it's on purpose. Because that's the way it's supposed to be in the first place. We're called to be in relationship with Him. So when we had those like gatherings at that church, you know, at that young adult church, and I mean, you know, they were having like kegs, like every, they were like getting together like every other weekend, you know, and it was just, you knew it was too far because one, there was a heavy abundance of it. Two, there was also a decent amount of like gambling and things going on. Three, it led to a lot of fornication and people hooking up and doing stuff. And like, it's just not, right? So like, look what it's bringing. You know what I mean? So it's like, can't do stuff like that. Like, 
Alcohol in and of itself, it's okay, but man, where it was going and where people were bringing it, not a good thing. The early church, guys like Calvin, Martin Luther, a guy like John Calvin, he had it written into his church contract, a contract with the church, that he would have a certain amount of wine paid for as an expense. Martin Luther, his wife, the family owned a brewery. So they were drinking beer like on a regular basis. A lot of monks, they would even own like breweries and that's how they would bring in money. You know, can a Christian work at a bar? Can they be a bartender? I don't know. Depends what God is speaking to your heart. It's a really dark place. Could really use a light. I don't know how many people are in a mature enough position to handle that in the right way and just be used as an instrument of God's holiness and righteousness. I don't know how many people. I think it's probably pretty rare. But you can't just say a blanket statement of definitely, nope, can't do it. It has an appearance of evil, so you just don't do it. It's difficult stuff, right? It takes wisdom. It takes wisdom and understanding. And that only comes from being with him and being in a relationship with him. So hopefully, hopefully you didn't hear that all alcohol is bad. And hopefully you also didn't hear have a whole bunch in the house and just go nuts and do whatever. We're not going to have a keg at CC Noggy, so I'm sorry. All right? There won't be one after church downstairs to bond community. Just wouldn't be good. But what we are going to do is we're going to take some grape juice during communion time. So we have some up here, and um, make sure we got it all set. Yeah, we got to set up here. We're going to play a song, and I hope that what, what did come out, I hope, I, I don't know if it did or not, but I hope what did come out is that, you know what, there's so many good gifts as he's blessed us with because he loves us, and the intent is for us to be free within those gifts. Just like pick up a beer, a glass of wine, and man, just be good. Like, you just enjoy that. It's just, there's, no, there's no guilt, there's no like weirdness, like it's just, I can enjoy it. I can go like, you know, have sex with my spouse, and it's like, like not weird, it's just okay, like we can just enjoy it. You know, like, like we can give our money to a particular place or just do something, like, and it's not weird, like I can just enjoy it. There's not like hang-ups there. Like that's the life that we're called to be in, is like be free of that stuff. Can just be around, like be at a beach, you know, where it's like a meat market and people, and just like be okay. And I'd be caught up in like, how am I looking? And oh, wow, did you see that? And it, like, just be okay. Like, we're called to live in that life, and, and we're destined to be in that life. And God has made it really clear that that's what's for us. Not like later, just like when we die, you know, then we can enter into that. Like, we can enter into that now through the strength and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And there's choices that we can make in life that set us up for a life like that. And man, it's worth everything to invest all the time and energy into that. It's huge. It's huge. So let's, um, we'll play that song, and uh, 